0: Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Between a full-time job in IT and a full-time job in podcasting, it gets harder and harder to sit down and read the books I'm interested in. This is where Audible comes in. I can listen on my daily commute, relaxing, or while out running errands and still get in the books I've been wanting to get into. You can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. Now you can try Audible risk-free with a special 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash nerderyandmurdery. That's audibletrial.com forward slash nerderyandmurdery. Don't let your busy life get in the way of that great book you've been wanting to read. Go get your free trial of Audible today. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. This is Jeffrey, and we've talked about many times before that I experience problems and struggles with my mental health. And really, without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy does work. It's helped for me but, but what is, is, is therapy exactly? It's, it's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships at work or you're not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's really time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles. And, and it's time to start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone a camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And there's a special offer to nerdery and murdery listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash murdery. That's betterhelp.com forward slash and murdery. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast.
1: You're listening to the sweet, sensual, and serendipitous sounds of nerdery
0: and murdery. <sighs> Sig. Damn it. Welcome to episode 48 of Nerdery Murdery. Uh, 48. I'm Zig with your Nerdery. And I'm Jeffrey with your murdery. Welcome to another week's episode. Love that we have all the fans listening out there. Just going great. We are approaching a year now. Oh, four episodes to go.
1: Four episodes to go. Can you believe it?
0: No. I, I, I can't when I look at it. It's, it's, it's just amazing. So. Awesome, awesome. So before uh, we tail off into anything else, Zig, I will turn the show over to you. Well,
1: awesome. Today, we're going to talk about cartoons, kids. love cartoons. We're going to talk about a particular animation studio known as Filmation. Awesome. Now, I did uh, kind of allude to this in the Star Trek episode, the Star Trek animated series episode. I wanted to do one on Filmation just, just because I think they're, they were a fascinating company. Sure. Um. I loved their output, particularly in the 70s and into the 80s. Um, Was not a big fan of their biggest hit, though.
0: Which was? He-Man. Oh, and I was a huge fan of He-Man. I was not a big fan of He-Man. He-Man, Transformers, I think was Filmation. Was Transformers Filmation? No, Transformers was, I
1: want to say it was the in-house production company for Hasbro.
0: Oh, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right on that. Just like G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because uh, He-Man and Shiro are were both filmations. Yes. And I love both of those.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I've gone back and watched some of them, uh, particularly with uh, K3. K3 loves the old He-Man cartoons, so mm-hmm. I watch it with, with K3 all the time, so...
0: They're doing a live action, another live action of He Man. (laughs) (laughs) The first one went terribly.
1: Uh, You know, and Frank Langella says that was one of his favorite roles he ever played. Really? Well, because he was in such great shape to play Skeletor and he loved it. He thought it was great. And then when he saw the movie cut together, he's like, yeah, this is not good. No, my performance was all right. It's a
0: terrible, (laughs) terrible movie. But yeah, they're doing another live action of that.
1: So, Filmation uh, Associates was an American production company that produced animation and live action programs for television uh, from 1963 up until about 1991. Uh, they were located in Reseda, California, and the animation studio was founded in 1962. Filmation's founders and principal producers were Lou Scheimer, Hal Sutherland, and Norm Prescott. Lou Scheimer is the voice of Orko. Mhm. Right. Um so you will recognize you may not, you may not know his face but you will recognize his voice. Lou Scheimer and Filmations' main director Hal Sutherland uh met in 1957 while working at Larry Harmon Pictures on the made for TV uh, Bozo and Pi cartoons. Uh eventually Larry Harmon closed the studio by ni- by 1961 Scheimer and Sutherland went to work at a small company called True Line. One of whose owners was Mar- Marcus Lipsky. Uh, who then owned Ready Whip Whipped Cream. SIB Productions, a Japanese firm with U.S. offices in Chicago, approached them about producing a cartoon called Rod Rocket. The two agreed to take on the work and also took on a project of for family films owned by the Lutheran Church uh, Missouri Synod for 10 short animated films based on the life of Christ. Paramount Pictures soon purchased SIB Productions and True Line staff increased including the arrival of former radio disc jockey Norm Prescott, uh, who became a partner in the firm, and he'd already been working on an animated feature of Pinocchio in outer space, which was primarily produced by Bell Vision Studios. Yeah, Pinocchio really, in outer space. Yes, Pinocchio in outer space. If you've All never right. seen it, it's really kind of weird.
0: Okay, uh, <laughs> it sounds weird.
1: Uh, they eventually left True Line and Schirmer began working on commercials, including uh, commercials for Gillette and others, which is where Filmation began. You know, little animated bits and commercials back in the 60s. They were doing a lot of that stuff. Um, he met lawyer lawyer Ira Epstein, uh, who worked for Harmon but had left the firm and now put together the new corporation with Scheimer and Sutherland. It officially became known as Filmation Associates as of September 1962, so named because they were working on film but doing animation, so putting them together yielded Filmation. Uh, both Rod Rocket and the Life of Christ series – credited Filmation Associates with production design. In addition, Shimer and Sutherland uh, as directors, SIB Productions, whose logo bore resemblance to the original Filmation logo designed by Ted Littlefield, uh, who would soon go on to become Sib uh, Tower 12 Productions, and pr- produced the first few Chuck Jones, Tom, and Jerry films for MGM, until becoming MGM Animation and Visual Studios for the remainder of those films. Norm Prescott bought in Filmation's first major project, Journey Back to Oz, an animated sequel to the MGM film, The Wizard of Oz, in 1939. Begun in 1962, storyboarding, voice recording, and most of the music scoring and animation had been completed when financial challenges caused the project to be put on hold for nearly eight years. In the meantime, the new Filmation studios turned their attention to more successful mediums, network television. For the next few years, they made television commercials, little animated bits. Some other projects for the companies made an unsuccessful pilot film for the Marx Brothers cartoon series, uh, which you can find uh, every once in a while. They also tried to develop an original series named The Adventures of Stanley Stoutheart," later renamed Yank and Doodle, about a boy and a dog, but they were never able to uh, sell it and almost closed down until approached by DC Comics editor Mort uh, Weisinger to do a Superman cartoon. Uh, They premiered on September 10th, 1966, and was followed by several of these other DC superheroes, and then in 1968, the first Archie show. So a lot of the stuff in the late 60s, the in the early 70s, the Batman series, the uh, the Superman series, there was an Aquaman series, there was a Teen Titan series, all done by Filmation. You don't see them a lot anymore because Hanna Barbera then went on to do Super Friends in the early to mid 70s and that kind of eclipsed all the stuff that Filmation was doing.
0: And correct me for, maybe it's in your notes I don't know if it is or not, but isn't Filmation now based here? Uh, Filmation doesn't exist anymore. They do we we have an animation studio. Oh, Funimation. Funimation. Okay. Funimation. Yeah, they, they do can.
1: a lot of uh 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 anime stuff.
0: Got it. Yeah, okay. a lot of
1: a lot of dubbing, and they also do some of their own stuff. Got it. But yeah, that's Funimation. And yes, they are based in Los Colinas. And uh, they're always looking looking for voice work. So, you know, maybe maybe we can get a gig over there sometime.
0: Doubtful, but, you know, whatever.
1: (laughs) So both those series greatly helped Filmation's popularity uh, to increase in the 1970s, when it scored big with several of those DC comic series. Uh, Filmation Studio was purchased by the Teleprompter Corporation in 1969. Uh, which was then owned by Westinghouse Electric Corporation. It got a control of Filmation outright in 1981, but they left Filmation alone to do what they do. Uh, now, Filmation's last production uh, was the feature film, Happily Ever After, a sequel to the story of Snow White, released in theaters five years later in 1993. So that was the last thing the Filmation did. Also, at the time of closing, two new animated series, Buzzberg, a spinoff of Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night, uh, concerning insect characters who had shown up in the movie and Bravo, a spinoff of Brave Star, were beginning production, but I don't think they ever finished. Um, so, Westinghouse sold Filmation's library, li- library, library to Paravision International, uh, which was owned by the French cosmetic company L'Oréal. Um, before the sale was complete, Westinghouse shuttered the film studio in February third, nineteen eighty nine, and which uh, left L'Oréal with owning the filmation library that they didn't release stuff for a long time you couldn't get your hands on anything that was filmation for years because l'oreal didn't know what to do with it because they were a makeup company um but as with other producers of saturday morning cartoons filmation was more concerned with quantity rather than quality so let's talk about quality filmation has a specific style at the time it had a reputation for exploiting the technique of limited animation to produce a number of animated series with a distinct look again the filmation style is you sh- you start with a shoot a shot on a background that you you play jungle sounds on and with music and you pan very slowly across it well that's not actually animated all they're doing is just moving a a really long picture in front of a camera um They also used a bunch of rotoscoping in later years, uh, beginning with Tarzan and the Flash Gordon series. The Flash Gordon series, what they did with that, and they eventually produced a movie, an animated movie, which ran on NBC, on an NBC night at the movies in like 1982 or so. There was also a series. The movie was the series kind of coupled together. The movie is better than the series itself. um, But it... I mean, in comparison to the live-action Flash Gordon film, it's ten times better because they actually used a bunch of the drawings from the old Flash Gordon cartoons. So the Hawkmen look like Hawkmen, and, and, and Flash Gordon's wearing the right outfit, you know? But they used the, they, the series used the animated sequences over and over uh, many times to the point where Filmation Style is instantly recognizable, One example of this can be seen in She-Ra and He-Man's transformation sequences. They used the same transformation for He-Man every single time. Right. And they only filmed it once. So it was really easy to every time he picked up the the sword and went, I have the power, they just used that same bit. And they used it over and over again. Um, Filmation's animation often looked poor quality due to the limited limited number of uh, frames per second. Uh, They went fewer than the standard 24 frames per second. Um, They actually went to like 22, which results in it looking a little jerky. And they say cheap looking, but Filmation, the animation style itself is a little rough. But the actual artwork is beautiful. You never have to worry about bad art in Filmation. Like the actual stills and the backgrounds, they're beautiful. They're almost as good as Ruby Spears. Uh, who was working with Hanna-Barbera at the time. But that Filmation style, like in Star Trek, when they would have the, the characters put their hand over their mouth to talk so they didn't have to animate their lips, um, and the use of stock footage, they used it to save money. But at the same time, a lot of other studios were exporting their actual animation to Korea or Japan, whereas Filmation still did their animation in-house. It didn't. It didn't leave. So they had to do these other things to make it more cost-effective to do the animation. Um, And they also do a lot of rapid jump cuts during action sequences. Um, And, of course, the long establishing shots. Uh, Filmation also pioneered other animation technology, particularly in Flash Gordon, which included backlighting effects for the first time in American animation. So they would actually, they would put the cells on a light board. So, like, when Ming the Merciless walks out of his little... A curtain of light. That's actually what's going on. There's actually, the, the cell is on top of a, a digital screen. Um, and they were the first to, to do that in America. Now, Japan was already doing it, but it really looks cool if you sit and, and go back and look at that. Um, they later used that, uh, that in He-Man and She-Ra. And they pioneered a unique method of generating 3D vehicle animation by filming white outline black miniatures against black backgrounds using a computerized motion control camera in high contrast film. Then they printed the negatives onto acetate frame by frame to create animation cells that they then hand painted. This produced a three-dimensional effect that had been used by D- Disney in such films as 101 Nations. And it produce, pre- predates the modern use of 3D computer animation. Um, the vehicles in 2D animation productions, however, had a distinctive flicker because some of the painted lines went in and out of visibility. So again, you get that little flicker. But uh, unlike Amer- many American studios, Filmation never relied on animation studios outside the United States. So they didn't want to produce in uh, in in Asia. They just they wanted to have it in-house. Now, characters and plots were typically run-of-the-mill for the time. For example, most episodes of one show that they did do that was not a different uh priority or a uh, property was uh ghostbusters, not the original ghostbusters
0: the real ghostbusters yes. right
1: uh they had the scheme, the bad guys develop an evil plan, the heroes are needed, but always absent uh ghost Bucky the talking car complains about the dangerous position, and Tracy the gorilla pulls out of his backpack exactly what the ghostbusters need um. Ghostbusters was voiced by Larry Storch and oh my god I can't remember the other the two guys from F Troop
0: Larry Storch and Ken Berry
1: Yes yes thank you Um so and it ran for a long time the trademark problem when the when uh, when they made the Ghostbusters movie they actually had to pay filmation a little bit of money to use right. the, to use the name because the filmation Oh that's here.
0: right they were just called the Ghostbusters it was the actual yeah, cartoon that uh-huh. was based on the movie on the movie that was called the real Ghostbusters. Yes, that, because, that's right.
1: Yeah, because uh, the guys who produced the movie had to give Filmation the rights to use the name right. Ghostbusters. I'd Forgotten about that. I had it backwards. Now the trademark of the uh, of the company Filmation. You can always it's three names that spin around uh, the, the the Filmation logo. Uh, you see a lot in uh, Star is the best one. And it was the three producers who owned the company. And the thing was, nobody wanted their name on top. So they did it like that until everybody left. And eventually it was just Norm, uh, Norm Prescott, or I'm sorry, Lou Scheimer, not Prescott. Uh, now the filmation, uh, production credit, credited only Lou Scheimer with his signature, starting with Gilligan's planet in 1982. Um, Many of its series produced in the production late seventies and eighties are notably for imparting a simple moral or life lesson at the end of the series because they were coming under fire uh, because the, the the they were saying the cartoons were too violent so they would do a, a, a moral of the story and a great quote from um uh, J Michael Straczynski because he was writing for He Man at the time uh, of Babylon Five fame says what's great is you'd have this great Action sequence and Skeletor gets away, and then you cut to He-Man, and he says, "And the moral of the story this week is: look both ways before you cross the street." <laughs> he was like, "It was awful, but we had to do it." So,
0: well, they often they they came to that moral after commercial break. They would have commercial break, uh-huh. and they would come back and have that final little scene yes. where it was this week's moral, and very often it didn't have anything, anything to, to do, do with the story. Yeah.
1: Look both ways before crossing the street. Um, they, they created very few original animated characters. Again, you had the Ghostbusters. You had Frady Cat, uh, who was a timid feline uh, who lost eight of his nine lives. And Wacky and Packy, a uh, caveman and his pet mammoth. Um, and they originally aired on segments of Uncle Croc's Croc Block. On ABC, hosted by Charles Nelson Reilly as Uncle Croc. Uh, this period of comedy and cartoons was heavily scrutinized for violence. And many shows uh, duplicated the popular Scooby-Doo format. Uh, Filmation's strong point was his adaptive popular television uh, series, movies, and other works. Although at least one series, Matt or Mush, the third animated segment on Uncle Croc's block, was not a direct adaptation, but inspired by the film MASH. So, the dogs were the doctor's. It it was ridiculous. Now, I kind of want to talk about Filmation's live-action stuff. The Hardy Boys and Archie's Funhouse featured live-action footage uh, with an audience watching the band perform. And the Fat Albert's Kids segment featured uh, Bill Cosby. And, of course, there was the Kids Superpower Hour with Shazam, uh, where you had animation and live-action. Um. Filmation made six fully live-action series, including Space Academy, its spinoff Jason of Star Command, Ark 2, Shazam, The Ghostbusters, and The Secret of Isis. Uh, Secret of Isis and Shazam used to run not only on Saturday mornings, but occasionally you would get them on the Friday night movie of the week on CBS here. Ah, Forrest Tucker. That was the other actor. Sorry. Uh, Filmation produced a live action series called The Ghostbusters, starring former F Troop stars Larry Storch and Forrest Tucker. Forrest Tucker. Okay. Yes.
0: Forrest Tucker was the sergeant.
1: Yeah. And uh, science fiction fan and collector Bob Burns was Tracy the Gorilla, and they were paranormal investigators. Um, Space Academy, which was established in the uh, start eight year 3732. Is a space academy located on an asteroid brought together the best of young minds, including several with special skills and abilities uh, to explore the mysteries of space. Uh, You had Commander Isaac Gampu, who was Jonathan Harris. Um, Chris Gentry as Rick Carrot. Adrian Price Jones uh, as Maggie Cooper. And Paul Jerome, uh, played by Ty Henderson. Um. Much of the children's television in the 70s uh, lessons and morals were taught in each episode of Space Academy. But Space Academy was a little more heady. So they did a spin-off of Space Academy called Jason of Star Command. Now, Jason of Star Command uh, was a segment of Tarzan and the Super 7, which was done in the style of a movie serial. So they would show a part of a Jason of Star Command episode and then a cartoon and then another part of the Jason of Star Command episode. And they will always end on a cliffhanger. The second seasons were standalone half-hour series um, of Jason of Star Command. Uh, the series revolved around the exploits of Space Commander Jason, Craig Littler, and his colleagues, including Professor E.J. Parsfoot, uh, Charlie Dell, and his pocket robot Wiki. The series also starred Sid Haig as the evil Drago and in the first season. And in the second season, James Doohan, um, who basically ran— Star Command. So you got Scotty back for this one. Uh, now both... James Doohan left the series at the end of... I'm sorry, at the end of the first season to join the rest of the original Star Trek crew in the motion picture. He was replaced by John Russell, who played a blue-skinned, by-the-book, Commander Stone. Uh, the asteroid prop used for Space Command, our Space Academy, was also used for Jason Star Command because they were out of the same place. Uh, after the Fresh Run episodes were showed on CBS during the fall lineup... Of CDBS Saturday mornings, Jason of Star Command was replaced by Shazam in January of 1980. Uh, Shazam ran for, I want to say, a season, and then they got Shazam and Isis, and they ran for another season. But you could also see them on our local CBS station at night. Um, I loved the live action series, those were actually my favorite. Um, that and one of the animation uh, shows. Black Star.
0: Love Black Star. Black
1: Star. And that's the reason I don't like He-Man. Because they basically used a bunch of the backgrounds from Black Star and a lot of the story. I thought He-Man came out first. No, Black Star came out first. Black Star was on for about a year, year and a half. And they were going to do another season. And the the toy company came to them and said, hey, we want to do a movie. And he's like, why don't we do a series? We're not going to produce a second season of Black Star we can use a lot of the same backgrounds and save some money. So Black Star was an American animated science fiction television series produced in 1981 by Lou Scheimer and Norm Prescott for Filmation. The series was Filmation's uh, super epic fantasy. or The series was Filmation's second fantasy epic, the first being the Freedom Force, which was a segment of Tarzan and the Super 7. And if you could find the Tarzan and the Super 7 stuff, go back and watch it. This is great. It's great stuff. Yes, the animation's a little jerky, but it is just as good as the old Herculoids episodes, and I love the Herculoids episodes. And when I say Herculoids, I mean, whoa, oh, 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 the Herculoids. You're welcome. Uh, John Blackstar, sorry, circling back, as we do. Uh, John Blackstar is an astronaut from Earth stranded on the planet Sagar after a spaceship was swept into a black hole, uh, taking him into an ancient alien universe. On Sagar, Blackstar is allies themselves with the Trobits the shape-changing clone and the dragon warlock and Mara, the enchantress black star and his allies oppose the overlord who seeks to take over Sagar. Um, Sagar uh, is, you can rule Sagar with the two halves of the power sword. you got the star sword and the power sword. Um, overlord has the power sword and John Blackstar has the star sword and Ever so often they get the two together, and either one of them has it, but they always have to break them back up and split them up. And that's basically how that uh, how that show ran. John Blackstar was originally supposed to be African American, um, which was Lou Scheimer's intent. He wanted a he wanted a, a black superhero on Saturday morning cartoons to go along with the Cosby Kids. So, um, now Blackstar's fate in the sixth episode, Space Wreck. Blackstar was briefly reached uh, by his former Earth girlfriend, Lieutenant Katana, who spent some time on Sagar before a misadventure with the Overlord forced her to leave. Katana did not appear in any other episodes. All the story ended with her asking a superior for permission to organize an arm rescue mission to go and get Blackstar. So because they didn't do a second season, the assumption is she was able to come back from Earth and rescue Blackstar from Sagar. Now, he he-Man and the Masters of the Universe is an American animated television series produced by Filmation based on Mattel's toy line, Masters of the Universe. The show is often referred to simply as He-Man, and it was the most popular animated show of the 1980s. It made its television debut in September of 1983. See, this is where, because Black Star yeah, was 81. With, yeah, I with you. And ran until 1985, consisting of two seasons of 65 episodes each. Toward the ends of the show's original run, it's uh, it spawned one feature-length theatrical movie, He-Man and She, and He-Man and She-Ra, and The Secret of the Sword, which served as the introduction to the show's spin-off, literal sister series, She-Ra: Princess of Power. Reruns continued to air in syndication until 1988, at which point USA Networks bought the rights to the series uh, and aired uh, He-Man until September of 1990. The success of the toys based on the show and syndication greatly influenced other animation houses to produce half-hour cartoon commercials and considerably
0: changed the syndication. Well, that's what I was going to say, too, because really, each week of He-Man was really what were they going to be debuting in the stores that week yes. which was the new toy yeah.
1: what's the new toy
0: yeah if there was a new if there was a new he-man action figure coming uh-huh. out that week guarantee he was in that week's episode
1: oh who is this oh that's fisto yeah that's
0: fisto <laughs> tornado man beast man you know all the all the all, all the funny names that came along stink-or. with it stinkor yes
1: um now, despite the limited anim- animation techniques they were used to produce the series, He-Man was notable for breaking the boundaries of censorship that had severely restricted the narrative scope of children's TV programming in the 70s. For the first time since Ruby Spears' Thundar the Barbarian, a cartoon series could feature a muscular superhero who was actually allowed to hit people. <laughs> um, and yes, Thundar the Barbarian hit people a lot.
0: Yes. Ariel! Oogla! Ride!
1: We will talk about Thundar the Barbarian at some point. The show was so successful that it spawned the spin-off series, She-Ra Princess of Power. Um, now they tried to relaunch He-Man's toy line and there was a new adventures of He-Man in early 1990s. And they, they've done an, an update recently. He-Man was also noted for featuring early script writing works from J. Michael Straczynski. Um, Paul Denny and Brent Stevens, both of whom would go on to write acclaimed episodes of Batman the Animated Series, Beast War Story editor uh, Larry uh, DeTillo and David Wise, and later the head writer of the TV version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the real Ghostbusters. Uh, In 2016, a new episode of He-Man was released. Um, But that's basically it for Filmation. Other than, get out there and go check out if you can find the Tarzan and the Super 7, go check them out. A lot of this stuff now is on Tubi and IMDb. Uh, not just He-Man, but like I was watching Black Star a few weeks ago. Um, and, of course, Star Trek, the animated series, mm-hmm. which we've discussed before. Uh, the Flash Gordon series you can go and pick up. Um, I don't know if you can see the movie. Um, I want to say you can. It's like two hours, but basically they took the, what, 50-episode series... And shrunk it down into a movie, and it's actually better as a movie because there's a lot of repeating things in the series because that's what Filmation did. Um, that they just cut out that you just see it once, so it actually it tells the story a little better.
0: I I enjoyed Filmation stuff as a kid. I enjoyed me too. I enjoyed all of it. Yeah, um, cartoons were a big thing for me in the seventies and and the eighties, um, and Filmation was a part of it. I loved HERA. Uh, a I loved He-Man and She-Ra. he let's I, let's coin that phrase. Hera, Hera. Um, but I also liked Blackstar. Yeah. So, I was a fan of all of those. Um,
1: I think I was mad because they didn't they didn't finish Blackstar. Mhm. You know, I think that's basically why why I didn't really like He-Man. Like I said, I've gone back and watched it with K3 and and the show's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm watching the jump cuts and we're talking about it, but like those long establishing shots I love those. Mm-hmm. I love those as a kid. Mm-hmm. They're just beautiful. yeah,
0: yeah, I love filmation stuff, so definitely get out there and uh, definitely check those out just to see things that uh, that that we we watched as kids. So yes, great stuff. Cool. Well, then with that, I guess we'll step over to the murdery side of the house. Murder. For my episode today, um I got my sources from all that's interesting. Uh, Investigation Discovery, Wicked Attractions, Season 3, Episode 2, Home Sweet Home. Uh, Oxygen- well, that's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. This- <laughs> Oxygen True Crime and Murderpedia. And today, my story is over Shelly Notek.
1: Shelley Notek.
0: So, Michelle Shelley Notek appeared to leave a very charm life. She had a caring husband by her side, and she was raising three daughters in a home in rural Raymond, Washington. Uh, the couple was very known for their selflessness, and they invited struggling friends and relatives to come and live with them. But then those guests started to disappear. Uh, the first person to vanish in the No Tech Care in, in No Care was her old friend Kathy Loreno. She had lived together in Shelly's home for five years before she disappeared in 1994. And Shelly assured anyone who asked that uh, who asked that Kathy had simply started a new life elsewhere. She said this when two other people vanished from her home, too. Finally, uh, how this all came out is Shelley's three daughters bravely came forward with their harrowing tail. All three of them had been physically abused by their parents, and guests were killed. They said Shelley had starved, drugged, and tortured her victims, forced guests to jump off the roof, roof drenched, it, drenched their rooms in bleach, and made them drink urine. So while Shelly Notek has been in prison since 2004, she is chillingly set for release this June in 2022 uh, with her daughters terrified of what could happen next. And you'll see why as we go through. Uh, Born on April 15th, 1954, Michelle Shelly Notek never strayed too far from her hometown of Raymond, Washington. And not even her 18-year prison stint uh, has taken her further than two hours north of where she was born. Her parents had a very volatile relationship and would also constantly fight, which led to divorce. The oldest of three siblings, Shelly, was raised by an alcoholic mother who seemingly abandoned her kids. Uh, Shelley would never see her mother again once she left. Um, unable to process her grief, Shelly tormented her younger brothers. But her truly her behavior truly became concerning when she was 13 and learned that her mother hadn't abandoned them at all and was actually beaten to death by her boyfriend. Um, Shelly blamed her father for believing that if he had never divorced her mother, that her mother would not have been killed by the boyfriend. Well, duh. No. Um, according to her daughter, Shelly NoTech responded to the news of the death, uh, with pyromania theft and filling her own shoes with glass. She wasn't very, she she wasn't all there, I don't think.
1: No? Filling her
0: own shoes with glass. Her own shoes with glass. Okay. I'm with you. Uh, after falsely accusing her father of rape at 15, uh, Shelley was sent to live with her grandmother before she eloped with her first husband, Randy, at 17. Those closest to her claim that after being initially Charmire, all three of her successive fous- spouses suffered under her physical and emotional cruelty. Her good looks and charm made her popular with men. The honeymoon, though, with Randy didn't last long as her violent mood swings proved to be too much. So soon... Uh, after daughter Megan was born, the marriage was over. She she then meets Merlin, <laughs> a custom car painter who became husband number two. It, it, it tickled me too that she actually ran into someone named Merlin. She has her second daughter Dana that's born to uh, to her and Merlin, and this marriage was also volatile. And Merlin soon tired of her. Um, and she really became manipulated to these men and it was either put up with it or leave. And the first two chose to leave. In 1987, Shelly married her third and final husband, David Notak. He was a construction worker and Navy veteran whom Shelly routinely abused. He was, he was twice divorced and had two daughters of his own, 12 year old Nikki and nine year old Sammy. Um, but. His new wife became more sadistic as time, never, never, or, or as time went on, and David really never saw the dangers ahead. Mm-hmm. His very religious family were pushing him to get married and have a full family, and he was enthralled with Shelley's girls and looked to it as having an instant family. So they soon bought a remote farmhouse to restore. Uh, But Shelly would soon uh, start showing her true face and she began manipulating David, demanding his paycheck and giving him only a tiny allowance because she wanted to make sure he knew that she was now in charge. Uh, At first, David objected to her extreme punishment of the children, but eventually his resistance faded. Shelly would tell him that David needed to discipline him and that he he could be very harsh. He did this because he believed if he didn't do it, that Shelly would be even harsher to the girls. Uh, Megan later revealed that her stepfather could be equally cruel when pressed into action by her mother and punishments were severe. Um, Shelley's first victim moved into their home in 1988, and this was her 13-year-old nephew, Shane Watson, uh, whose father was in jail and his mother was too destitute to take care of him. Shane's father was in a motorcycle gang and he was in and out of prison, while Shane's mother was also in and out of jail and abusing substances so he had nowhere to go and shelly claimed to be the stabilizing force he needed and invited him to come live with them shelly took to torturing J- shane almost immediately and he became the focus of her of her abuse she dubbed her style of reprimanding him as wallowing which she employed for things as uh no for which she employed for things such as uh him going to the bathroom without asking what mhm she even ordered him to stand outside naked in the cold and dumped water on him. In Washington State? Mm-hmm. Okay. And he wasn't allowed to eat proper food or go outside unless he was supervised. And when he was, some of the punishments, he would be forced to do calisthenics in the mud and the rain in his underwear. And his suffering would only ease once Kathleen Loreno moved in. Uh, however, he was then forced to become one of Kathy's tormentors. So she's forcing the kids to do her bidding for her. The no-tech sisters weren't spared either. Uh, She mocked her eldest two stepdaughters by casually ordering them to give her handfuls of their pubic hair. Their wallowing often included being caged in a dog kennel. She even shoved Nikki's head through a glass door one day and then turned around on her and said, Look what you made me do. The only one that seemed to be spared, though, was the infant uh, Tori, who was born later after Shane moved in. Meanwhile, she forced her nephew and Nikki to dance naked, uh, naked together. She laughed. And then what she would do is after she would do these, the, the, these, these times of punishment, sometimes the kids would run away and she would catch them and then she would just. She would love bomb them. She would just tell them, you know, I'm so sorry that that won't happen again. I love you so much. Here's some presents. Here's some food. Here's a good. Here's some clean clothes. She would literally love bomb these kids with affection in order to get them to trust her again. And so then she, she could torture them. So she so could then turn around and then and tor- torture them. Absolutely. Um. So. Kathy Loreno uh, was welcomed in the home in December 88. She had been a hairdresser in town, and she was described as a real nice gal. She was very quiet and to herself. Um, she ended up getting being promoted to the manager of a national chain of salons, but then she would lose her job due to problems with the chain, and she had had a blow-up at home where she lived with her mother, and so she moved out, finding herself without a home or a job. Shelley knew Kathy from the salon, so she offered Kathy a place to live, and Shelly was pregnant at the time with Tori, so she asked Kathy to come live with them and help Shelly through the pregnancy. Um, Kathy soon became an extended part of the family and she joined in celebrations and they showed her on video, you know, filming her just like she was she was one of the family and and and, and embracing her as that. However, as we talked earlier, Shelly could be loving one minute, one loving and caring one minute, but violent and unpredictable in the next. Uh, she'd play mind games with her children, like steal pages out of their homework and then send them to school to get in trouble with their teachers. They would get in trouble when they got home because they didn't have their homework, but she was the one stealing them
1: just to cause chaos. Mm
0: -hmm. She, she would then wait for them to come home and she'd berate them. She'd call them stupid. Some, Um, sometimes she'd lock them in a closet with only stale food to eat.
1: I have dealt with people like that. They will intentionally sabotage something. Just so they could point fingers at somebody else and, and and berate them.
0: It's it's awful.
1: Yeah, it's it's awful. Sociopathic.
0: Oh, absolutely, she is. Uh, other times, she'd wake them up and send them outside in the dead of winter in their pajamas to be hosed down and roll around in the mud like they were pigs. Good lord. When Kathy moved in, she soon discovered uh, that she didn't just she didn't have a new friend, but she was now a new target. Uh, Shelly would feed Kathy rotten food as punishment to weaken her mentally as well as physically. Uh, Kathy would sometimes be kept half-starved and at times been made to crawl on the floor. And once, she locked Kathy for days inside of a deep well.
1: Okay. Uh, Kathy's an adult, right? Mm
0: -hmm. But... She's been traumatized. She was kicked out of her home. She was welcomed in. She they gave her affection. They showered her with affection. They made mm-hmm. her part of the family before all this started. And Shelly had a way of making people believe it was their fault. Yeah, that what was happening to them were their fault. And Kathy was scared, and mm-hmm. she was too traumatized to and, and reluctant to run away because it's 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 the psychological mind games. She, 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 she was a part of this family and they brought her in. And even though there's this torture in a sick way, this is still a place of love. Yes. And so, and so that's part of why she, she was very, she was very hesitant to run away. It did get bad for Kathy. Um, Shelly told the kids that they had to hit Kathy, punch her, stab her in the legs with scissors. And they would tell the kids that unless they wanted it to happen to them, they needed to punish Kathy. The normally tender-hearted Shane would become a reluctant, brutal enforcer. He had a set of steel-toed boots that he would kick Kathy in the head with. And this really had a very specific purpose. Not only did the kids feel bad about having to do this, but they were also unlikely to go tell people about it because now they were involved they were in the abuse. They part of it, yeah. Right. So they weren't telling yeah, anybody. You, you can't tell on me because you did it too. Right. And Kathy had nowhere to go. She 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 didn't have anywhere to go over this farm, so she would be uh, perform forced labor in the nude. She was being fed nightly sedatives and was left sleeping next to the basement boiler. So she was just put in depraved conditions. Um, and and again, the punishments would increase until somebody would try to escape. One of the kids would try to escape. Shelly would bring them back. She'd do the love bombs, and then soon the abuse would start up and go all and, and start all over again. Well, Shelly soon grew tired of Kathy, and she had her locked up in the old pump house. Um, by 1994, Kathy had really become a ghost of her former self. By this time, she had lost more than 100 pounds, and she'd become weak because her diet was so poor. Mm-hmm. She was also having problems with her balance from being struck, uh, repeatedly struck in the head and kicked, and finally one day uh, after Shelley beat her, she died. Um, Shelly
1: beat her to death.
0: Beat her to death. Uh, David, her husband, did carry her to the laundry room and began trying to revive Kathy. Secretly, while that was happening, Shane took some photos of Kathy of, of this happening and Kathy's body, in the hopes of showing them later to police for his protection. Uh, Shelly then wanted to get rid of the kids. So she took them totally out of the area to a motel 45 miles away and left them there overnight. And then Shelly convinced David that they'd all be incarcerated if they told outsiders. So David Notek then burned uh, Kathy's corpse in the backyard. He built a fire pit and torched her. Shelley told the kids that Kathy died of natural causes and that they better remember that. She told them that if police blamed Shelley for Kathy's death, that she would kill them and she would then kill herself and David. So the children lived in fear that if they came forward, that they themselves would die. If anyone asked, Shelly simply explained Kathy had run off with her lover, uh, a trucker that Kathy had left with years earlier. And she even offered police proof that Kathy had run off by producing a photo with Kathy standing with a male in front of a uh, semi truck. She said Kathy had run off to California where she was being a nanny. Shane, though, he really was starting to see Mm -hmm. that something needed to happen. So he he'd sh- taken pictures, he'd too. He'd taken pictures, and he showed these pictures to Nikki. Um, he, 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 sh- he showed some of when Kathy was still alive, when she was still horribly malnourished, and then showed photos of her dead body, and he said, I'm going to take these to the police. Nikki was so scared, she told his mother about the plan, and then Shane disappeared. Mm. Um, as he was getting bigger and stronger, Shelley could no longer control Shane, uh, but she told everyone that Shane was a runaway and decided to go to Alaska and work on a fishing boat, which was very common for young boys who weren't going to college, and you'd not hear from them for six to eight months. So this yeah. didn't raise the alarm for anybody.
1: Well, they could go, you know, like those crab fisher guys. A lot of those guys come out of Washington State. Mm-hmm. They go up there, and they work for 35 days and come back with $50,000.
0: Right. Unfortunately, what really happened was David NoTech uh uh Shot Shane in the head in February of '95 and then disposed of his body by burning the body and scattering the remains in the ocean. Uh, he thought that with Shane gone, nobody would be able to say anything to the authorities. Um, Sammy Notech later reported the reason why my mom was able to control Dave was because while I love him, he's just a very weak man. He has no backbone. He could have happily he could have got happily married and would have been an amazing husband to somebody because he really would have been, but instead he just got his life ruined too. The two older daughters realized they now could return to being targets themselves and decide to run away, which left younger sister Whitney and Tori behind. Uh, and before justice found him, the NoTex took one more victim. As they had an empty room to fill with the older girls out of the house, they brought in Shelly's friend Ron Woodworth, who moved in in 1999. Um, Ron was a 57 year old veteran with a drug problem, and he was a newcomer to town coming from California, and he didn't have any local friends or family besides Shelley. She met him while working as an assistant nurse for a senior service, or he was working as an assistant nurse for a senior service where Shelly was a case manager. But he really wasn't doing well in his job. He had his hours cut, and he was having financial problems. He had his home repossessed. So Shelley said, "Hey, come on and come live with us." Case management. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Ironic, isn't it? Hmm. Uh, shortly after settling in, he was berated by Shelley as being an ugly, low life who could use a steady diet of pills and beatings to get his life together. Everything in his life was restricted. His food and even when he could use the bathroom was restricted. He wasn't even allowed to use the bathroom instead was forced to go outside. And then she would make him go out in the yard and do work barefoot. Uh, meanwhile, in 2002, Shelley Notek took care of James McClintock, who was an 81-year-old retired merchant crewman. McClintock reportedly willed Shelley his $140,000 estate once his black lab sissy died. Perhaps coincidentally, perhaps not, McClintock died from a head wound he allegedly suffered after falling in his home. However, police were not able to ever link, successfully link Shelley to his death. Mm. Kind of think they missed one there. Yep. Um, back at home, Shelley demanded that Ron would cut, uh, cut ties with his family, forced him to drink his own urine, and then jump off the roof. He didn't die from, f- from falling from the two-story, but he was badly injured, so she poured bleach over his wounds, and then in August 2003, he succumbed to his injuries. Shelley called David at work and told him that Ron was jumping out of trees trying to kill himself and that he finally succeeded, but an autopsy report would later reveal that Ron had died from physical abuse, neglect, and numerous blunt force uh, injuries to his body. So, people would come by and ask about Ron, and his corpse was sitting in their freezer, but she said that he had left and got a job in Tacoma. David Notek eventually buried him in their yard, but it was Ron's disappearance that now led 14-year-old Tori to realize what was happening in her family. Uh, As all the sisters had moved out by this time, Tori told them uh, what she believed had happened. They urged her to gather Ron's belongings so that they could make their cases to authorities, and which she did. Uh, Police then investigated the Tech property in 2003 and found Ron's uh, buried body. They arrested David immediately, but Shelly was nowhere to be found. They did track her down uh, at another family property a few miles away, and she's promptly arrested as well. While Tori was placed into her sister Sammy's custody, David Tech confessed to shooting Shane Watson and burying Ron Woodworth five months later. He admitted that Kathy had died from being tortured, abused, wasted away, and eventually choked uh, choked to death on her own vomit. He did admit to trying to uh, life-saving measures on Kathy, but nothing worked. He further admitted to being the one to dispose of Kathy's body by burning it in a fire pit, and then he scooped up all the ashes and dumped them in the ocean. He was eventually charged with second-degree murder for shooting Shane Watson, and he served 13 years. He's now free. Michelle NoTech, meanwhile, was charged with second-degree murder and manslaughter for the deaths of Kathy Marino and Ron Woodworth, respectively. She entered an Alford plea, Alfred plea for her role in the killings of Kathy and Ron, which she still maintains her innocence. Again, as a reminder, an plea, Alford plea is one where you say, no, I'm not guilty, but... You have enough evidence against me that I see that a jury is going to put me away, so you do that plea for a lesser charge. She was sentenced to 22 years with no possibility of parole, but again, she's scheduled for release in June of this year, 2022. Uh, Her family is said to be very deeply concerned about her release. Sammy said, if she ever turns up on my doorstep, I can just see myself locking all my doors and barricading myself in the bathroom to call police. Uh, Notek's sisters, Nikki and Sammy, are now in their mid-40s and both live in the Seattle area, while their sister, Tori, needed a change of scenery, so she moved to Colorado. Uh, David Tech was paroled in 2018, and he has been forgiven by his children. Uh, the children all have contact with David, but not with Shelly. They contend without Shelly's influence that he is a changed man. Uh, the girls are all now reported to be in great relationships with great jobs, some even with children of their own. But Shelly Notec remains a terrifying presence for all three women, and her impending release a source of terror.
1: Good lord!
0: And that is the story of Shelly Notec.
1: Good lord! And she's what, like a sixty-something-year-old woman now?
0: Uh yeah, I think that's about right. But I'm, I, I I'm with the girls. I would be terrified mm-hmm. with her upcoming release too. Yeah. I, 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 I. Well, I, she's capable of murder. She is capable of murder, and not only that, but she's also capable of being. The really, really nice, sweet person in one minute, mm-hmm. and then turn on you the next yeah, minute. Yeah,
1: convince the entire world that you're the bad guy, right? And people apparently believe her.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm with those girls. That I, I think it's, I think it's terrifying that she's been released. I know that they have tried and tried and tried to keep her in prison and keep mm-hmm. her in prison, but she's up. She, she's up for release in June. There's no stopping it at this point. Wow. Yep, she's served her time at that point. So that is my sad story for this week.
1: Well, awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's never good that we 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 have to end on such on such tragedy. I, as I said, I don't have any anything positive to end with today. I'm sorry about that. So. Uh,
1: but well, it's you know uh, upstate Washington. That's uh that's where they filmed Twin Peaks. So there you go. There's that upstate
0: Washington. It's a, probably a nice area to live in. Yeah. If you're not living with Shelly Notte. Yes. So. <laughs> So that'll take us to the end of another recording week. Uh, As always, you can find us on Nerderymurdery.com where you can find the link to all of our podcast platforms, as well as our contact information and social media accounts. So if you want to tell us things you like about the show, things you don't like about the show, if you want to tell us about things you want to hear, we love doing listener episodes. You can find the link to our merchandise on our website, where if you want to show off your mer- nerdery and murdery fandom, you can certainly get something there. You can find the link to our patron, where if you wish to donate to our show, uh, you can do so. We do appreciate each and every one of our patrons.
1: Please and thank you.
0: As a reminder, we do have patron-exclusive episodes that uh, that are found uh, on, our, on our patron site. So if you become a patron uh, like our current ones, you also can get extra episodes that are only available to our patrons. That is correct. And so with that... I have been Zig with your nerdery. And I'm Jeffrey with your murdery. Cue the music.